This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. And usually Christian art is very black and white, and it's usually done through a lens of... um, this is truth, this is what our God is the greatest. On one end, cool if you believe that. On another end, if, you, if you're coming up to that and you don't actually believe that, I can't even wrestle with that. This is a podcast about two things, helping those with urgent needs in front of us today and improving the road so others can walk it safely in the future. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, a podcast where we're learning how to do good better. I'm Kent Anden, co-director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, and I'm joined by my colleagues Jamie Aiton and Laura Finch to explore how we can more effectively love our neighbors from everyday acts of kindness to the most complex humanitarian challenges facing the church and society today. Um, with us today is David Gunger. David is a musician, a pastor at Good Shepherd in New York City, director of partnerships for a peacemaking organization called Telos, and the founder of Higher Love. He's a producer and songwriter and in a band called The Brilliance. David is involved with Narrative Four, a global organization headed up by some of the world's most renowned and influential authors, artists, and community leaders who have come together to promote empathy through the exchange of stories. And then one last note as we introduce David here is the song that you hear at the beginning and end of uh, each of these podcasts is by David and his band, The Brilliance, a song called Turning Over the Tables. And so, David, we're so grateful for this conversation and grateful that uh, everybody who listens to this podcast also gets to listen to some of your great music. Yes, thank you so much, Ken and Jamie and Laura. It's great to join you all. Uh, I am coming to you from New York City in Manhattan. I live in Chelsea with my wife and four children. Uh, I'm at a place called General Seminary, where our church also uh, offices and worships out of. So it's very good to be with you today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Indeed. And then we want to jump right in and start with, you You have do lots of things, but one of the things that, that we came to you through is this song, Turning Over Tables. Uh, could you yeah. tell us a little bit about the inspiration of this song? How did how did you write it? How did it evolve um, yeah. as you worked on it? So that's a great question. So I first started uh, making music with my uh, family and best friends when I was like a little kid. My brothers were both very good musicians. We grew up in central Wisconsin. And uh, in order to hang out with my brothers, I had to learn how to play music. So I had one (laughs) brother that played guitar. I had another brother that played piano. And that means I got stuck learning playing the bass. And I would say, how do I get my bass to stop buzzing? And they'd say, learn how to not suck. (laughs) And I just have to sit and listen to records and try to copy things. And like, that was the household of like, we grew up listening to jazz and playing by ear and learning that. And then um, my best friend from childhood was an amazing pianist. And in high school, uh, you know, we would show each other songs that we were writing and that type of thing. In college, we ended up playing some music together. We both were playing with my brother. And then um, later on in life, I was a youth pastor and kind of done with music, I thought. Um, And I ended up 
writing some songs for my church because we were going through a, a kind of a transition from a traditional, um, not traditional at all, but a traditional Pentecostal evangelical church into a more liturgical framework of a church and more sacramental imagination. So it took about 10 years for that to fully evolve. However, at the time, uh, we st- I started writing music around um, themes of like liturgical themes. So I did an album around Lent and around Advent and that type of thing. And I ended up going to Israel and Palestine with an organization called Telos. Um, and while I was there, I played at a peacemaking um, festival. Uh, it was a festival for peace in Bethlehem. It was a mostly, they had uh, Jewish people there. They had um, Palestinians there. They had Israeli um, citizens of Israel who are actually themselves uh, Palestinians. They had a very diverse group of people that were represented there trying to say, we want to end the conflict. But it was a mostly Muslim audience. And so I played uh, like my music and I had very good reception from it. And for some reason, this trip really messed with me because um, specifically so many of the people that I was learning from and learning about Jesus were not Christians. They were Jewish or they were Muslim. And they knew a lot more about Jesus than a lot of people I knew. And they actually, in fact, um, acted a lot more like Jesus than a lot of Christians I knew. And so it kind of did something to my equilibrium in my imagination of faith where I thought I I need to lean into what this looks like. And for me, peacemaking uh, became a a large role in my um, imagination for discipleship. And it's specifically meeting God in the other or the stranger, or like you might say in the Samaritan. Oftentimes um, growing up, I'd hear that story. And I always thought that as a Christian who was an American, that in that story, I was always the good Samaritan. Uh, I was the one who was always there to try to help bring good. And as a matter of fact, the more I learned, it was like, oh, actually the other, the stranger, the Samaritan, the person that's like actually not the holy person is the one that's rescuing me from the ditch and saving me. And that in the otherness, somehow I was encountering the divine. And so for me, uh, that really shook my own imagination, specifically creatively. And I started moving away from church music more into peacemaking music. And when I called it peacemaking, I called it spiritual protest music. Hmm. And the first thing that I wanted to protest was as a white American man, coming to terms with like, I'm not the savior and I need to shut up and learn how to listen. Mm. And so that, that idea of, um, my first act of, as a peacemaker is learning how to listen. Uh, so from there I did a, um, a little peacemaking EP and then, uh, the specific album that you were, uh, the song is off of is called All Is Not Lost. It was kind of the last of the faith albums that we did, but it was a tie into moving into, uh, after that album, we we started moving into suites in which we call them suites because um, John and I said, well, what do, John is, a, we're best friends, grew up together, and John is very much an agnostic. And I'm a pastor, but we've grown up together. We love each other dearly. We're brothers. And um, we ended up, saying, well, what kind of music do we still want to make together? And there was something about it that we said, we want to tell other people's stories. Like that's where we find spirituality and find this thing uh, that brings us life musically. And so the first album was around DACA Dreamers. So Sweet One was called O Dreamer. And we, uh, one of the 
concepts of peacemaking that I adhere to is um, you centralize the marginalized voices. And so you listen and learn. And when you are telling a story, you try to, um, instead of just get up and preach about it, you you maybe ask questions instead. Um, And then I ended up from doing that album, doing a second album around anxiety called The World Keeps Spinning, which came out at the beginning of 2020. And it was all about, is this the end of the world? And then 2020 happened. And then... Uh, so I have to ask you now, so this came out right before 2020? This came out in January of 2020. Okay. So I'm going to be listening for whatever the next album is to base my calendar year on. Yeah. So. Yeah. So th- yeah. So that will come out uh, later this year and it's called Reasons to Keep Living. So it's a third It's a third suite that once again kind of deals with that second suite Um but it's more uh, a celebration than a lament. The se- the second one definitely dealt with existential big themes and questions uh, that can bring anxiety. And the third one uh, deals with things that bring you life. Well, you know, one of the things I was really curious as you so were- I just gave a very broad paper. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. That's great. Well, you know, one of the things I was great. really curious about was uh, a couple of times there as you were sharing, you used uh, the word imagination. So you talked about it. In general, you talked about imagination and faith and imagination and discipleship. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, imagination. Um, So most, as an artist, one of the things that uh, we share with art is that it's it's a shared space and we're trying to create something in which you can engage it. And it's not just propaganda. Usually Christian art is very black and white, and it's usually done through a lens of um, this is truth. This is what, you know, our God is the greatest. On one end, cool if you believe that. On another end, if if you're coming up to that and you don't actually believe that, I can't even wrestle with that. And so what makes like a great piece of art, I'd give an example of like... um, the Mona Lisa. I don't know if any of you actually like the Mona Lisa. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. One of you could look at it and say, it's not finished because it isn't. Or you could say, she's happy. Or one of you could say, she's sad. One of you could say, you know, whatever you, I like the colors. I like, I think she's beautiful. I don't, I think she's, how has this lasted? There's something about it that the reason why it stands is that we're all able to engage it with our imagination and it's a shared thing. Anytime you have melodies and then we find it beautiful together. It's like a shared memory that transcends um, language. And it hits us in our body in a way that when you hear a great piece of music and it can stand the, the test of time, it's because we share something that then takes us somewhere and it's going to be different for all of us where it takes us. And so there's a sense of wonder and awe, which often is what is associated associated with like a spiritual nature um, of who we are and how we connect to things greater than us. That's great. I, it's something I was listening to like re-listening to some of your music this weekend. And, um, one of the things I like, and I understand a little bit more now that you just explained it is, you know, turning over the tables, like it's sort of this revolutionary love, like it can be a little bit dangerous in the way that Jesus is dangerous, but there's also this real joy to it. And then I listened to the album you wrote on the dreamers and doc and there's, you know, it's not just preaching, but there's this dissonance and a beat where I'm not expecting it. And there's 
kind of hope and then there's a minor key, you know, with the lyrics and right, mm-hmm. that I, I find really intriguing. Can you talk a little bit more just about that of when we're seeking justice in this podcast about learning how to do good better? What are the advantages you've seen both in art and in your work in peacemaking of being comfortable with having dissonances with, you know, things don't line up and there's joy with the challenge. You just talk a little bit about that. Okay. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to take like a a hundred thousand foot airplane view of that question. And then I'll try to in by the end of it, land the plane. So (laughs) the hundred thousand foot view would be if my, in my spirituality, if it's not playful, it's not real. So when I say playful, and for me, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, which means I like to fight. Um, there's something about wrestling with ideas. There's something about wrestling with things that actually is an act of play. So if I was going to use it in like a biblical imagination or a biblical lens, I'd say, you know, the act of, of Jacob wrestling with the angel. Um, it's this thing where we look at it and he wrestles with God and then the angel's like, hey, I, I got to tap out. I got to tap out. I have to go. And he's like, I'm not going to go until you bless me. And then what's his act of blessing? It's by hurting him, by hitting his hip, and he walks with a limp. So his blessing is that he's like forever hurt. And not only is he forever hurt, um, that act of play, he's got like a new name. He's marked, he's, he's got this new trajectory. And I think anything spiritually that you dive into, especially within um, the realm of like the Christian story is that it's always going to lead you to a place of in a Christian imagination, the cross or suffering or darkness or however you'd want to use it. Um, That is often the place that I found that I, I need to not be afraid to move into ideas um, that seem scary or seem like it might be like, Oh, that does a little like doubt in my mind of the story I was given. Part of that is as a, as a person that tries to have an open mind to be able to change, like to evolve is a good thing in my mind to be able to doubt things is a good thing. And part of that is the absence of doubt um, means it's not faith. Like faith without doubt, faith is nothing. Because if you have absolute certainty, you don't need faith in anything. You're just a fundamentalist that like doesn't have to put your trust in anything. You just know. And so doubt always is there. And somehow wrestling within that, you'll hear that within our work, there is a playfulness to the dark. And knowing that you can trust and wrestle and do that. So even when you're like minor key and beat and that thing, a lot of times my favorite type of music is uh, really happy sounding music with incredibly sad lyrics or really beautiful lyrics with incredibly sad melodies. Um, why? Because there's something to that tension that brings us once again to the place of like being okay, entering into the dark. It's a safe, okay spot. You're going to be okay. Just learn to be, just be that spirituality is learning to be, and it's a playful act. Well, hearing you share that, one of the things I found myself wondering, hearing that you mentioned that you're an eight on the Enneagram, so being a challenger and now you're leaning into, you know, going from the song on turning over tables to how do we use our music to foster empathy and and even peace? What's that been like for you as an eight leaning into these ideals around peace? So 
Um, everything that draws me into peace is that it's, it has to be relational. And that's why if you were going to ask me why I would still consider myself a Christian, it has nothing to do about, um, a certain like church doctrine or a certain, um, sense of like, I just really love Jesus. Like, no, but I really believe in the Trinity. And you'd be like, what? I'd be like, I really believe actually that the whole of creation is relational and the way that I actually experience what it means to be human is to be in relationship. And the only way that I know what that is, is through love and God is love. And when you go, well, how do you know God is love? Then we're going to get into some Trinitarian theology that actually goes like, wow, somehow that it's rooted in the depths of me of when I connect to others, I am connecting to the divine, which is an odd thing to say, but it's it's something that you feel the connectedness of everything. And for me, when you talk about um, music specifically and doing peacemaking, I learn every anything that I know from peacemaking is a hundred percent relational and it's a hundred percent tied to a community aspect. And I, it's not mine. I don't own it. And because of that, um, I would say in writing music, I, my goal, like I'll give you an example. We have the Daca dreamer song. And in the beginning of this song, it's called Oh dreamer. I wrote the song and I remember writing the lyrics and I showed it to John, who's my partner in the brilliance. And I said, the first edition of it said, love has an open door, welcome stranger. And I remember I sang it usually for how I'll like write a song is like, I'll write it and then I'll use it as like a Guinea pig where I'll, I'll play it at a few shows before I record it to be like, does this feel right? Does this, you know, sometimes I'll do that for like a, a song. And so I played it at a show and I remember people responding well to it, but John, and he's really good at this. He doesn't like things that are too saccharine and he doesn't like things that seem like that, like you really know what's up. And so he kind of pushed back at me and he's like, dude, you really just believe like in no locks, like love as an open door. And I was like, oh, well, you know, we kind of like have a funny argument about it. We go to sleep that night and we're sharing a hotel room. I'm in my bed. He's in his bed. And I wake up in the middle of the night from this like night terror where in the, in the dream, and I'm not sure if you've ever had a night terror, they're not fun. A large figure, like shadow figure came over my bed and I tried to like scream and I couldn't. And I was like, paralyzed where I just couldn't move. And then finally woke up and I was like screaming in my dream and it was terrible. And I remember telling him like, John, dude, this thing came in and I'm telling him and he goes, bro, love as an open door. Welcome stranger. And one person's heaven is another person's hell. Hmm. And what happens when you're talking about vulnerability and all different types of things and things are never black and white. And so what we did was we changed the lyric from love has an open door, welcome stranger, to does love have an open door? Now, it seems like the dumbest little change, but to me, it enables you as the listener to answer a question and engage either yes or no. But those who both have different points of view can both engage the art. It's, it changes from a piece of propaganda that I own the truth into a question in which you can engage with that. I love that, David. Yeah, and just the way, you know, it keeps striking me how you you listen, you're listening to be creative, listening to neighbors. It, it just strikes me that there's this 
theme of listening and and thinking that comes through in your art and how you approach this peacemaking. Um, could you say something? And listening, you know, as you and your partner are working on music, could you say something about listening? And then we'll probably transition into the our big five questions, but how do we listen well? It's something that we even talk about with our graduate students that we work with here at Wheaton and everything, but you, could you say something about how do we learn to be good listeners? Um, and this could be in peacemaking to music also for people mm. in your church, you're loving people, you're teaching people in your church to love their neighbors. Well, how can we become better listeners, which can lead towards our becoming better Samaritans? That's a great question. Um, one, I I think listening is, it's a practice. Like no one is, um, even if you're a good listener, it's still something that you have to work up like a muscle and engage daily. And there takes a certain amount of humility um, and a certain amount of practice of going um, even how and what you're listening to. So I'll give you an example of a thing that I would try to do in listening. Um, I mean, there's so many different forms of listening, uh, relationally, we can talk about mirroring and being able to have like physical ways that we actually engage with each other in practices of doing that. Um, but one that helps me specifically in peacemaking for people that I disagree with is that a principle that I would hold would say there's, um, there's no idea above critique or reproach. And there's no person who has an idea that's under dignity. Like they, every person has dignity, but there's no idea that they give that's above reproach. That includes my ideas. So within an idea, we should be able to wrestle with that idea. It's not a sacred cow. It's an idea, but a person has dignity. Now, what happens though, when I'm listening to someone and that idea takes away a person's dignity? So if I, if I was sitting here listening to you and all of a sudden you started saying um, very racist slurs or whatever it would be, I could listen and say, this is your experience, right? And I could also say, whoa, 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 whoa. when I hear you say this, and in a certain way, this is something that I would use as a practice of mirroring that I think often can be helpful with anyone, is you say something that you heard. So if, for instance, in this question, I could say, when I hear you say... X, whatever that is. I then say, it makes me feel, I'm sorry, when I hear you say X, I assume it's because of this. Now, after I say, I assume it's because of this, it makes me feel this. Here's where it engages us. I heard you say this. You can't deny that you said that because I heard you say this. I'm just mirroring back what you said. When I say, I assume then you can attack that assumption and be like, your assumption is totally wrong. But what you can't attack again is my feeling of how that assumption made me feel. Now, the reason why that's a good practice with practice within listening and within conversation and peacemaking is because one, you're mirroring something like you're trying to really listen to the exact words, which someone said, you're making an assumption, which is actually really good because I'm naming, if I don't say what I'm assuming, I'm still assuming it. So it's good to get that assumption out so that that assumption can be attacked. Because even if my assumption is wrong, I'm okay with it being wrong. And then from there, I'm saying why I'm coming with the energy I'm coming at. If I said, 
I hear you say, I, you said this, I assume it's because of this. And that makes me sad. You're coming at me from a different like energy of, oh, he's sad. Or if you hear me say, I said this because I'm angry, you once again are maybe coming at a little different angry of like, I didn't mean to make you mad. I'm sorry that that assumption happened that way. Uh, or you're, you're totally full of it. Like that assumption is, is wrong. You're very wrong. <laughs> But either way, it's a practice of listening that moves us forward in conversation and also holds us in this place of like, actually, conflict is not a bad thing. It's something that can move us forward. Well, you know, David, as you were talking and describing that, I found myself going back to the very beginning of our conversation where you were talking about growing up in a family that listened to a lot of jazz and, you know, you were joking about your interactions with your brothers and to me, as you were describing that, it reminded me of thinking about like musicians trading fours, right? That, you know, somebody's yeah. sharing it, you're marrying it back. Now you're kind of putting your own spin. The per other person is starting to explore it more. Um, so really appreciate those insights from uh, your experience there. Yeah, thank you. Data, now we'll, we'll, we're going to transition to our big five. So they're big questions with short answers is the idea of this. Um, right. so, so, but no, no, um, no gotcha questions. Um, we've, I'm pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty I, I, I welcome any gotcha. And all your answers have dignity. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. I understand. Yes, Thank exactly. You. Well, the answers might not have dignity. I'm not my answer. <laughs> yeah, very true. Good point. Uh, so, a first question, and this could be, you know, go go either in the direction of music and or peacemaking throughout this. But what's something that has surprised you in your work recently? Surprised me in my work recently. Um. I just did a band camp where I took 24 uh, musicians down to Texas and I worked on four records. We did 64 songs in about 10 days and wow. it was insanity. We all did COVID tests. We all did uh, everything. And I, I, tr I did a very strict schedule for the first time for something. And I thought it would be good, but it surprised me how efficient it kept us slash um, we played hard, we partied hard, we had such a good time and there was just no ego. And I just, it surprised me for how much I enjoyed. Um, I didn't, uh, for the most part I was producing and doing other stuff and it just, it really brought me a lot of joy, uh, doing the whole thing. So it was great. And, and no one got COVID. Hey, that's great. <laughs> that's great news. And how have you personally been learning to do good better in this work? do good better. Oh, I mean, so we have a, Telus has a thing called the principles and practices of peacemaking. And it's a document that we worked on very hard, uh, labored over it's years of work, but we really labored over during, um, the quarantine, like putting this thing together. And it has been, um, it's a labor of love. It has really taught me a lot and specifically around, <clears throat> different things, like putting into language, different beliefs that I had that, that are kind of like, Oh, of, of course, of course, mm -hmm. of course. But, um, it brought me a lot of joy and it, it's definitely been something that I go back to often. And how do you define humility in the context of doing your work again, either peacemaking or music? How do you define humility? How did I define humility? Oh man. Well, one, uh, you don't own the truth. Two, you're going to die. Uh, three, life is hard. 
uh, I just go th- through Richard Rohr's like five things every boy must know to become a man of like, it will teach you humility of like, life is not about you. Right. So children do that. Um, being in relationships and friendships do that. Uh, but I find more and more how ridiculously privileged and fortunate we are to be growing up at this time. You know, I say growing up, but living life, having a childhood in America, having, you know, parents that loved me, having all the different things that we've had. It it just, it always brings this sense of back to those remembrances. And I would say those remembrances are a good posture for me of humility. And what's one thing you think could make the road safer? The road safer or the world Uh, safer? The road safer. The road safer. Oh, wow. What a good question. What could make the road safer? Well, less cars <laughs> or electric cars. So I would, uh, if I was czar, well, I'm going to tell you what, you didn't ask if I was czar for America for a day. I don't know. I don't know if it would be, there'd be a lot of different things that I could think of, but road safer. And I know you probably also mean like spiritual road. However, I'm taking it in a very literal way, which I kind of like. Um, I mean, I've, I'm not going to lie. I live in New York City and there have been many times where I've hit taxi cabs, like double handed. I've taken a water bottle and thrown it at a car and been like, slow down in my neighborhood because there are kids walking everywhere. We're trying to walk here. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go electric cars driving. I don't want humans driving. Right. Nice. And then how do you sustain hope uh, in, in the midst of the challenges? How do you sustain? Uh, and I'm very sorry. My six-year-old is here and doesn't know that I'm doing a podcast. So I'm just, I'm giving him a stiff arm right now. Uh, hope is, uh, hope is what you do. It is not just a feeling. It is an action. Hmm. And for that sustaining it, um, I think it needs to be sustained in a community. Um, I think the, here's a big thing and specifically around the, the issue of being an American that deals with faith. I feel like, um, the great enemy of our time to our Christian imagination, meaning an idea that somehow of personhood, what is personhood? Um, one of the hard things is we either go a Cartesian model of like, I think, and therefore I am, which leads to an identity politic in which you must destroy those who think differently than you, um, like a different type of tribalism that gets really dark. Or um, I feel like we did get down this extremism of there is no truth at all. Nothing matters. And in that form of nihilism, which like eventually can come, that's where it's like, uh, how does gun violence happen over and over and over? And we're like, it just, nothing can be changed. Like there's a, that we all embrace a form of nihilism that is totally against hope because hope is like, no, it's an act of courage. It's like the world can be different. Like things can be different. And when we embrace the nihilism, even in small ways and go, well, Trumpers are always going to Trump or, gun violence will always be there or lefties are always going to be, you know, however we want to characterize anyone that's the other. And we just say, they're always going to be this, that form of nihilism always leads to violence. And that's where I'm like, no, I'm not. I I believe people can change. 
That's great. Well, David, thanks for the conversation. Anything you'd like to share with people um, that you have going on? And you mentioned a new album coming out soon. Anything we could point people towards who want to learn more about you and hear more of your music? Yeah, if you're interested in peacemaking, I host a podcast called Undaunted with Radical Peacemakers. Um, it's through Telos. Telos organization is an amazing organization that I'd point people towards if they're interested in peacemaking. And our um, our peacemaking uh, document that I was talking about are the practices of peacemaking and then um, principles and practices. And then lastly, just as you said, for brilliance, you can check out brilliance. Uh, wherever you stream music, as well as the Good Shepherd Collective, which is uh, a lot of church music that we do that you can check that out as well. All right, David, thanks for the conversation. Thanks for the music. Great being with you. Thank thank you guys so much. And, and Gal, sorry. Thank you all. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with David as much as we did. Uh, so appreciate his creativity, his thoughtfulness about faith and about art, um, and also about listening. I thought uh, listening is something that's a, a theme, become a bit of a theme through the Better Samaritan, and it makes sense. We, we need to listen deeply, uh, grow in our practice of listening if we're going to love uh, others and if we're going to keep getting better at loving others. And thought of a, a couple verses from the Turning Over Table song that you hear in this podcast um, on each episode, and just wanted to read a couple of those to close this one out with David. Let courage be my willingness to listen so I can feel the wound inside my heart. Let seeds of peace grow in hearts around us. Let trees of hope give shade to all mankind. Let courage be my willingness to listen so I can feel the wound inside my heart. Let seeds of peace grow in hearts around us. That trees of hope give shade to all mankind. Sister, take my hand, brother, we will stand. Open up. listening to the better samaritan podcast you can find links to the things we mentioned during this episode in the show notes and special thanks to the brilliance for this fantastic music theme if you enjoyed today's episode please rate and subscribe 
You can also follow the Humanitarian Disaster Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you next week as we continue learning to do good better. When I see you in a stranger, I'm no longer a This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com CT.